welcome to Arbitral Insights, a podcast series brought to you by our international arbitration practice lawyers here at Reed Smith. I'm Peter Rosher, Global Head of Reed Smith's international arbitration practice. I hope you enjoy the industry commentary, insights and anecdotes we share with you in the course of this series, wherever in the world you are. If you have any questions about any of the topics discussed, please do contact our speakers. And with that, let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to our latest edition of our podcast series, Arbitral Insights. And I'm delighted to have today as our guest, Neeti Ahuja. And we will get to know each other in this podcast very well. And uh, I'm looking forward to our discussion. Neeti is uh, an associate in the New York office of Steptoe and Johnson. She specializes in dispute resolution, but with a major focus on international arbitration. She's also qualified in India and brings great perspectives as a consequence. Uh, and it's a real delight to meet you, Anirthi. You're one of the real rising stars in the field of international arbitration. And as we'll talk about in the course of this podcast, you are the founder of a wonderful organization that's just recently been set up called Indian Women in International Arbitration, IWIA, of which I'm a huge fan and of which I'm delighted to also be uh, a member of the advisory board. And we'll talk about that in the course of this podcast. But let's first get to know you a little bit so our listeners have the benefit of hearing about you and your background. So uh, tell us what, first of all, inspired you to become a lawyer. First of all, thanks, Gautam. Thanks for inviting me. And I'm very grateful to you for accepting the invite to be on our advisory board of the Indian Women and International Arbitration Organization. We have big dreams, so hopefully they will come true in, in the course of next years. I Well, what inspired me to become a lawyer? Well, I wanted to become a lawyer since ever since I was in ninth grade. Like that's what I wanted to do in India. It's a little bit different, the procedure of... Uh, going to law school, you can either do an undergrad and then go to law school, or you can do an integrated course, which is what I did. I did my bachelor's of business administration and uh, the joint program with law. So that's what I ended up doing. I was interested in understanding a little bit of the business aspects, which has helped me even in my international arbitration practice. I don't think there was a certain thing that inspired me. I was just very interested in how the law functions. I, at some point, wanted to become a criminal lawyer, which I didn't end up becoming. But uh, international arbitration keeps me on my toes as much as uh, a criminal lawyer, I think. But that's been my journey. I did my law school uh, in India. I grew up in India. I moved to the U.S. only when I was 21. I came to the U.S. for my master's, which I did at University of California, Berkeley. I specialized in business laws there. And I am qualified to practice law in India and New York and have been practicing for about five years, and my focus has been international arbitration ever since my graduation. Super. Well, you know, and as I say, you are one of the real rising stars. And uh, mark my words, those of you listening on this podcast, Neerthi is someone whose name you should listen out for and look out for. She's going to be great. So what then inspired you? I, I know you came to the US to do your master's, as you said, at, at Berkeley. And then 
What inspired you to stay on in the U.S. and qualify in the U.S. and work in the U.S.? So I did my master's in Berkeley, California. And at that time, and things have changed drastically in the past two, three years in California. But back then, there was not a lot of opportunities for international arbitration in California. And naturally, I I would visit D.C. or New York for arbitration-related events. I was always interested in international arbitration as a practice area. During my master's, I had some really good professors, and it it confirmed my interest and, and desire to practice international arbitration. So the kind of opportunities I felt that I would get in the U.S., the kinds of cases, the kinds of responsibilities would be much greater than what I would get as a first or second year uh, associate in India. And that's, that was true as when I practiced at, I, I was, I'm at Stepton now, but before this, I was at a smaller firm, a mid-sized firm. And I got, I got a lot of responsibilities from the start to finish of, a, of an arbitration proceeding, which really, really helped me grow as a lawyer. And that was why I wanted to stay in the U.S. and why I continued to stay because I kept getting those really good opportunities, very practical opportunities rather than just sitting in the office and doing like very basic work. I I love what I do. So it helped me stay involved in international arbitration. Yeah, absolutely. And and no, it's a great jurisdiction to be in because New York really is one of the really um, important jurisdictions for arbitration. So, you know, what's your perspective? As you'll know, recently, the Bar Council of India have announced that uh, after so many years of it being discussed, foreign law firms uh, are going to be permitted to practice foreign law in India. And one of the driving forces, as we understand, behind this Bar Council of India decision is to make India a centre for international arbitration. So as someone who's got a foot in both camps, a foot in the US camp and a foot in the India camp, what are your thoughts about the Indian market opening up on that basis? Well, I think it's great news. I think firms globally think it's it's great news because for so many years they couldn't have an office in in India when there is so much business in India. To see where it is going to go, I, I am unable to predict exactly how many firms are going to establish their offices in India. I think it's a great opportunity for Indian lawyers because they will have access to these big names and big firms which are globally known. So I think thinking about a student who's in a law school in India can practice or, or will be able to um, have some years of experience in in firms which are associated to big names, which are globally known, and their experience will be more transferable than we see right now. Uh, Being an LLM student, I didn't do my JD in the US. I think that was something I always recognized that Indian lawyers experience do not get as, is not as transferable as people from other countries, for instance, France or Italy. They just practice in fresh fields or a reedsmith in Paris. And their experience is more recognized and acknowledged as compared to somebody who practiced at the best of the best law firms in India, like Shardola Marchand or something like that. So I think it's a great opportunity for Indian lawyers and Indian women and people who want to be arbitrators as well, because there could be like an Arb Chambers office in India, things like that, big things like that. Um, at the same time, I think big 
law firms are going to take advantage of establishing an India office and trying to, the ones who do not already have an India practice will try to get more of that India uh, business, which they couldn't before this. So that's hopefully how it's going to go. But let's see. Yeah, but yeah, absolutely. It really is a case of let's see. I agree with you. I mean, it's a momentous development after a long, long time. And I think it is a real opportunity on many levels. But also, I think it will see the development of the international arbitration law community in India, uh, for sure, and will probably give a real boost to the institutions there. Uh, So we'll talk a little bit about that uh, in the course of our discussion about the IWIA, because that's something that really does you know, come in, it, it's actually a very nice coincidence that the setting up of the IWA has come at a time when the Indian market is going to be opening up. It's a lovely coincidence, and we'll talk about that in a bit. But let me ask you one more question about your own personal background to getting to where you are now. All of us who do what we do have stood on the shoulders of many people and have been able to springboard off those shoulders to do what we do. And um, I'd be really interested in knowing who has been instrumental in your development in terms of inspiring you, mentoring you to get to where you are now. Okay, so I'll, there, those are two different things I would say. The inspirations that, I, that I've had and the mentors that I've had, I've had the good fortune of having really good mentors at different stages of my career when I was doing my LLM, when I was a first year associate now. Uh, some mentors were for a short period of time and some of them have now become friends, which I truly, truly uh, appreciate. I, I think there's just, as an inspiration, I would say it's kind of a different answer than you would hear from other people, but I, I would say it's my mom because she moved to the U.S. in her 40s, in her late 40s. Uh, there's no one better than having a mom as an inspiration. There's no one better. It's it's true. I, 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 I thought about it, and I've been thinking about who my inspiration really is. And it's not an arbitration lawyer. Um, it's just how she fights and climbs mountains every day at her work, at, at home. She moved in her 40s. Now she's in her 50s. And and. It was hard for somebody in in her 20s, myself, to move to a new country and and start my career. And for her, who's practiced, she's a doctor, she's practiced in in India for many, many years. And then she moved to the U.S. And I see her being so resilient and trying to uh, achieve her dreams and and keep continuing to do that. And I think that really inspires me to keep going. I, I think that's the, the two words. It's just keep going. It's um, you. Everybody has some obstructions in their career and, and you just need to keep going and be resilient and persevere. And that's kind of what I have been inspired from her to do. And, and regarding my mentors, I think there's a lot of accomplished women arbitrators and uh, women that I look up to, Mireille Philippe, uh, Wendy Miles. There's, there's many women that I look up to, but there have been mentors within and outside my firm who have really been there and supported me and helped me be where I am now. So, so I'm thankful and I'm very grateful for all of that. No, thank you. And I think, you know, that's really interesting because one of the things I always love to ask our podcast guests is about this, about inspirations and mentors, because 
that's the energy that drives us forward. You know, just I can just tell you, you know, my late mother remains one of my biggest inspirations. So when you said how your mum is your inspiration, that really rang a big bell with me. So that's very, very nice to know. Okay, now let's talk about something that you've been really, really closely involved in, and that's the setting up of the IWIA, which, as I mentioned earlier, is Indian Women in International Arbitration. Now, to preface it, one of the things that I know you you and I are very aligned on is that, unfortunately, there is a real lack of recognition globally of the incredible quality of Indian women, Indian origin women, doing international arbitration. They don't get the, the recognition they deserve. They should get it, but they don't get it enough. Secondly, there's not enough Indian women arbitrators, which again is a real failing in my view, because there's no reason why in such a huge legal community in India, where there are so many fantastic women lawyers, that hardly any of them sit as arbitrators. There are a few, absolutely, and you and I will know a number of them, but there aren't enough, and it's incredible. So I really, really admire and appreciate you setting up this this organization. So tell us a little bit about what made you want to set up IWIA. Gautam, it's exactly on the lines you mentioned. There is so many good Indian women in arbitration, not just in India, but globally. There's people in Paris, there's people in Germany, there's obviously in London, Uh, but also in India, definitely. There's so many Indian women who are doing so well, who work just as hard as their male counterparts, and they just don't get recognized enough. And one thing that I want to do with Indian women in arbitration is create awareness amongst not just the global arbitration community, but also clients, because they are the ones appointing these arbitrators. So I want to build a database of Indian women and mention what what is their specialty, what industries they practice in. Um, You might have noticed that Indian firms' websites are not as detailed as you would see like a Wheatsmith or a Steptoe-Johnson website. So that is something that's a gap that I am going to try to fill with all the people who will be involved in Indian women in arbitration. Just creating awareness, reaching out, providing support to women who are at the start of their career, because that is so important. I I feel like there's a lot of associates, but them getting promoted to the next level, becoming partners, getting appointed as arbitrators. And we're a whole village. It takes a village to, to really, really achieve that dream of getting Indian women the recognition they, they truly, truly deserve. No, thank you. I, you know, that's exactly true. And I just think one of the things that you mentioned that's really important is raising awareness of who the people are. Because as you say, there are a number of Indian women, you know, in India, of course, but also who have moved to other parts of the world, like yourself. And as you say, there are, there are many, many lawyers doing international arbitration of Indian heritage who are now in the U.S., in Europe, other parts of the world, Australia. There are so many regions where Indian women are active. And I think raising that awareness is really important. But what, you know, and I think your idea of bringing 
profiles together because of the paucity of website information is really important too. But how do we, I know it's easier said than done, but how do we do more to ensure that more women, be they Indian in India or of Indian heritage and who are outside of India now, that they get appointed more in arbitrations? Because unfortunately, we don't see enough of them and it's really not good enough. So how do we change that, Nidhi? That's a, that's a big goal. And Indian women in arbitration and, and all of us, I think, even people who are not a part of Indian women in arbitration have to play a role in doing that. And people who support diversity and, and, and have been a part of these initiatives, I think they are already doing their role for bringing, bringing women in, in front of institutions I feel like there is still a lack of Indian women who are brought in front of international arbitration institutions. Um, And that's something we will try to do. We will try to collaborate with uh, institutions, be it SEAC, be it uh, LCIA, ICC. We're going to try to give them a list. These are the people. Add them to your roster. Do the interviews you need to do. Get them involved. Because sometimes it's I grew up in India, so I understand what the culture is like. A lot of people don't speak up, don't reach out. And, and that's something I hope to achieve with Indian women in arbitration. And I, I hope the people who are members and who, are, who want to be appointed are given that platform or are given that exposure that these arbitral institutions do notice them. I feel like there has been a move towards gender diversity, but there also has to be a move towards racial diversity and other kinds of diversity. Diversity is not just gender. It's, it's so much more than that. And, and I appreciate ICC set up their, their committee on, on disability, which is another form of diversity, which is important. So um, I think there's going to be baby steps uh, to, to really have these Indian women be appointed by arbitral institutions or even clients. But the, the, the best thing to do right now is to give them exposure and make them known to the people who appoint arbitrators, be clients or, or law firms. I, I, and, and I think uh, the, mm-hmm. the BCI move will help with that as well, just because people want to know who is practicing what in India. And, and that's going to give them another way of getting recognized. I agree with you. I completely agree with you. And I think you're so right also that the institutions who operate in India, like the MCIA, SEAC, to name just two of them, need to do more to ensure that they encourage and they proactively go and get women arbitration practitioners onto their rosters. Because I know from my own discussions with many Indian women lawyers uh, who practice in arbitration. And most recently, I had the huge privilege of working with a number of them on the GAR Mumbai conference that I co-chaired. There is no shortage of desire on their part to sit as arbitrators. It's just the opportunity to do so. And as you know, one of the historical things about India, with no discourtesy to retired judges, But the main pool from which arbitrators are drawn in India is still retired judges. And some of them are magnificent, don't get me wrong. But 
there needs to be, this is your point about gender diversity, racial diversity. It has a number of aspects to it. We need to make those moves. And I think once, and this BCI, as you say, the BCI move may well be a catalyst for change and encourage things to move in the in a different direction. And, you know, I would also, I mean, you know, what's your sense about at some point, you know, I think a great idea would be some sort of a, a conference that the IWA has in India. That would be a big, in my view, at least, um, an incredible profile raiser. I mean, have you thought about something like that? I definitely have, not just in India. I have really big dreams for Indian women in arbitration. So I do want to have these conferences in the UK, in in Europe as well. But yeah, that is in the pipeline. We are accepting applications for steering committee, which will help us set up these conferences because I'm just one person. So I'm I'm gonna try to do everything I can, but I, I need I need help from from a lot of members. Our advisory board is included. And yes, there will be a conference uh, maybe later this year or early next year, but there will be, and, and that will be a huge profile raiser, but also that will help us uh, collect data on, on all these women in India who might not be on LinkedIn, but will attend this conference. So that's something I, I, I really am excited about. And just to add to the point about judges being appointed as, as arbitrators, uh, Gautam, just that's the exact thing I'm saying about diversity in age as well. I think a lot of women who are partners are in their 40s, 50s, and there has to be a below 70-year-old bar as well for, for these women to get appointed as arbitrators. Um, it's often that clients and maybe institutions as well think that people who have more experience are going to be better arbitrators. I, With all due respect, I, I don't think that's true. These women who are partners at big firms and even smaller firms doing arbitration, they're doing just as good quality work as, as these older retired judges. I agree with you. And also so many of the Indian arbitration lawyers I know, women arbitration lawyers I know, they work with clients from across the world. They've got a broad experience in lots of different cases. They work regularly with lots of the big overseas firms. And that experience is invaluable. And that experience is something that can be of immense value when you come to be an arbitrator. So, no, I share totally your thoughts. And it's been something that I, that's been on my mind for a long time, because like I say, I mean, I'm significantly older than you, Nerdy, as, as you know, but uh, in the course of my 30 or so years of practice, I've seen just how many incredibly talented women lawyers there are, both in India and who have moved abroad. And trying to harness that now is a real opportunity. So I, I wish you all the very best for that. And um, I know the IWA is going to be a massive success. Um, I really applaud you for having the vision to set it up. And if if anyone is going to lead this ship to the, the you know a really good place, it's you. So I wish you all the very best. Thanks, Gautam. That is the hope and that is the dream. And I, I am really excited about the future of Indian women in arbitration. It's it's going to be 
really a good platform for all these women who deserve the recognition. And um, I'm hopeful that uh, I'll have as much participation I can from these women that I talk about. Yeah. Oh, no, you will. There's no doubt about that. There's no doubt. So, you know, now let's, as we come to the end of the podcast, I always end uh, my podcast with a little more lighthearted chat. This is a, a, a bit of a podcast that we know from feedback is very popular. So as the old adage goes, if it ain't broke, don't try to fix it, right? So I'm, I'm not going to break the tradition of, of this. So Nethi, so when you're not practicing and when you're not doing fabulous things like setting up the IWIA, what sort of music do you like listening to? Which groups, bands, singers, type of music? I like rock. So I like, I love the Beatles. I saw Paul McCartney live a few years back. That was the highlight of my concert watching. I don't know. <laughs> so bad. So I love the Beatles and I love Arctic Monkeys, who I'll be seeing this year. I, I love a lot of more 80s, 90s rock music. That's kind of what I love. I also like some alternative music. I've, I've grown to like. French artists as well. Uh, a lot of, if you know about Strome, that's uh, a band. Uh-huh. That's a person, a singer I really, really admire. There is also Polo and Fan. These are just my recommendations. You should listen to them. They're very good music. Um, <laughs> that's great. They're great recommendations. I've got to tell you, they're great recommendations. So those are the ones I have been listening to re- these days, but also um, Beatles I've loved for a long time. Well, no, well, I mean, the Beatles are timeless. You know, I've got to tell you a little quick anecdote. Many years ago, I was um, speaking at a conference in New York, and there was one of the speakers gave the most, one of the most innovative talks I've ever come across. He was speaking on mediation techniques and the intersection with arbitrations. And um, he, he came onto the platform and he played excerpts from three Beatles songs, and he played "We Can Work It Out." Uh-huh. He he played um, "I'll Get By" with a little help from my friends, and one other track. And we all thought, "Why is he playing this music?" And then, once he'd played them, he then said, "I'm sure you're all asking, you're all thinking, why did I play these three Beatles songs?" And he said, "The the, the theme of it." is to sort things out amicably. And I just thought that was actually a, a really cool way of putting it, actually. So I didn't forget that. I mean, I, it's, it's, it's bugging me. I can't remember the third track he played, but it was one of the Beatles songs that involves friendliness. But um, so uh, what about travel? I mean, you know, you live in a, you know, a great city in New York, but New York, like London, can be pretty overwhelming at times. So where do you like traveling to for vacation or for leisure? Uh, that's a, well, I want to travel to so many places. I have a lot of bucket list items, but honestly, what I, with a place that I do want to visit this year is India. I have to say I haven't been for quite some time and I do want to go back, see my friends and my family. But other than that, I visited Cancun last year, which I loved. It was quiet, peaceful. The weather was really good. I think that would be somewhere I would go again. 
and my parents are in Chicago, so that's another place I, I like visiting just generally. But New York is great. So um, sometimes when I want to take a vacation, I just stay back, go to Central Park, or it just oh, like yeah. gets you out of the city and just it's peaceful. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's true, actually. No, no, New York's a great city. I've had the great privilege of being there many, many times over the years. And there are some nice bits of New York where you can feel that you're not in the big city. Um, so definitely for sure. Okay, then my last question. Have you got a favorite film that you that like you love to watch now and again to just, you know, it always sort of, it's fun to watch again? Uh yeah, I have so many. If I can mention an Indian one, because we're talking about a lot about. Oh, please India. do, please um, do. I love Tyra's Aminpur, which is. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> I think there's an English title as well, "Stars in the on the Ground" or something, but it is Tyra's Aminpur. That's a beautiful movie. I think I love watching it every time I watch it. It's it's beautiful. Well, you can't beat some of the Bollywood films. I mean. Uh, yeah, I mean, they are, I mean, some of them are pretty incredible. <laughs> but so, no, look, it's been absolutely lovely to speak to Nethi, and I'm extremely delighted that we had this chance to do this podcast. I wish you all the best personally in your practice at Steptoe, and uh, I, and as you know, I wish you all the very best also in achieving the aims and objectives of the IWIA. So, thank you very much, and I look forward to seeing you in person very soon. Yeah, thank you so much, Gautam. Thanks for inviting me and thanks for taking the time out. I've really enjoyed the podcast and I hope to meet you in person very soon as well. Look forward to it. Arbitral Insights is a Reed Smith production. Our producer is Ali McArdle. For more information about Reed Smith's global international arbitration practice, email arbitralinsights at reedsmith.com. To learn about the ReadSmith Arbitration Pricing Calculator, a first-of-its-kind mobile app that forecasts the cost of arbitration around the world, search Arbitration Pricing Calculator on ReadSmith.com or download for free through the Apple and Google Play app stores. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, ReadSmith.com, and our social media accounts at ReadSmithLLP on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. This podcast is provided for educational purposes. It does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship, nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. Any views, opinions, or comments made by any external guest speaker are not to be attributed to Reed Smith LLP or its individual lawyers. All rights reserved.